Well, hello, hello, everyone, and happy Thursday, and welcome to LinkedIn Live. Today we have a special treat um, and a special guest. I'm Dr. Michelle Rosen, the Change Doctor, and today my special treat to all of you is um, Shavit Barnahum, my one of my favorite people ever and one of the smartest people I know, so I'm really looking forward to today and having a great um, chat. Um, Shavit is the uh, Managing Director of Global Talent Strategy and Employee Experience at Moody's Corp. And um, our topic for today, which is, I, I can't think of anything that would be more relevant and important, is from burnout to resilience. So welcome, Shavit. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. We're so glad to have you. And before anything else, tell us more about what you do and about you. Okay, fantastic. So um, uh, as Michelle said, I am the Managing Director of Global Talent Strategy and Employee Experience, and there's a lot that's in there. But if I was going to categorize it into just a couple of buckets, it would be talent strategy and performance management, kind of on all things associated with that employee experience, employee engagement, you know, the way in which our employees should experience being a part of Moody's, and that includes well-being, that includes career pathing, and then culture and values, and, um, you know, how do we really attract people to our organization, and then what do we do to ensure that they stay and that they're thriving? And I love that, and, you know, uh, you and I, Shavit, we, um, we went back and forth and we were exploring different options um, of topics to discuss together. We've had many discussions over the years. We've known each other for many years. And um, I think the reason why we picked from burnout to resilience is that it just keeps coming up. And um, I'm sure it keeps coming up for you as an executive, as a top executive. It definitely keeps coming up for me on my talks. Everybody's burned out. Everybody, either from a leadership standpoint, debates, you know, with how to approach it as a leader. People also deal with their own um, burnout. I think before we even talk about it, let's just define what it is. What is burnout to you? So, you know, before we even define it, I want to just take a step back because I, when we talked specifically about this topic, I remember vividly a conversation that I had with my CHRO at the time, probably a year into the pandemic. And I remember looking at her and saying, you know, I think there is the pandemic that we call COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then I said, what I really think this is transitioning to is a pandemic of burnout. Yeah. And what we were beginning to see, even, you know, six months, one year into the situation that we're in now is people were really beginning to experience their physical and mental health, their ability to engage at work, their ability to stay focused and stay on task, their ability to really feel like they're personally and professionally thriving. People were beginning to see some cracks in the dam as mm -hmm. it relates to that. So very early on, as we started to kind of go through this and we, and we then were forced to define a new normal. And we were then forced to kind of really think about these issues in a very different way. And I think one of the fabulous thing, I mean, you know, there's always a silver lining to something, but I think this really forced organizations to have a lot more conversations about well-being. And it's not that organizations weren't talking or thinking about well-being before, but it really brought it to the forefront and it really brought it to conversations, not just at the HR and the people leadership team tables, but really brought it over to the leadership team tables. So if I could just say that the one like the one thing that has really come out of this is a, is a very different conversation about emotional well-being, physical well-being, what it means to be thriving in a work environment. All of these things have really come to the forefront and we are now forced to really redefine what flexibility is, what thriving at work looks like. We call it at Moody's, we call it flourishing. So what what flourishing at work looks like. And so, you know, we are now having very different conversations than we've had in the past. So, so let's look at it together because, you know, one of the, um, one of the main problems with anything that is mental health related or mental wellness related is that it's not visible. You know, it, it, it's a pandemic that we, we feel, but we don't see and the awareness, you know, as much as it's better than it used to, it's not really 100% there. So when you talk about a pandemic of, a burnout. What does it look like? Let, let's start from a per, on a personal level. What does it look like to you? No, absolutely. So 
You know, I think the fascinating thing about burnout is that the actually like official definition of burnout actually has nothing to do with people. It has to do with energy. Mm. And if you look up burnout, you know, if you just Google what burnout actually is, the definition, the Merriam-Webster definition is the reduction of fuel or substance down to nothing or mm -hmm. overheating to the point of, of combustion. And that is that because really essentially everything in life is about energy, good and bad. And the leap to kind of using burnout as a term to describe a very human situation makes a lot of sense. So, you know, it, it starts with really understanding that we are in a situation where we have to understand and think about our energy in a very different way and that our energy is finite. It's not infinite, right? Yeah. There is a place where you run out of energy. This is exactly why they say, you know, on an airplane, you have to first put your oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else. It's yeah. exactly why you need a full battery in order to restart another battery, because it's not infinite. We can recharge ourselves and we need to put in the right habits and the right processes and the organization needs to be able to think about it that way as well to, to create abilities to recharge and reset. But we also have to really look internally and think about what do we need to do in order to really and truly manage our own energy so that we don't get to a point of overheating or we don't get to a point where our fuel really runs on empty because the more you run on empty, the more impacts that it, it really, really has. So, so true. So true. And anybody that is um, listening to us, viewing us right now, anything you have to say, any comments you have, Shavita and I will be happy to um, include you in the conversation. This is a conversation, um, I think, for all of us, and it's an, a conversation we all need to have. So participate with us, comment, whatever it is that you want to say, because this topic could not be more could not be more relevant and important. And you know, Shavit, I kind of think to myself sometimes that the pandemic brought to an extreme existing issues. So yeah. the burnout is, is, is actually started with modern life, you know, just doing so much and completely exhausting ourselves. And I love what you said there about energy because um, energy is such an important resource that we have, and yet we tend to not guard it enough. Um, just for lack of awareness. And, you know, we give and give and give and do and do and do. We take it for granted. We do. We do. And um, I always say time and energy are the most, you know, important resources that, that we have. So how do we guard them? And we'll definitely talk about that today. Um, what has been your experience with what it looks like when it's not you? So when it's you, right, let's just go back there. I think there's a lot of time wasting. I think there's a lack of ability to perform tasks. I yeah. think there's a lack of ability to focus. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of impulsive behavior because there's lack of ability to, you know, use the prefrontal cortex more to make better decisions. All amygdala hijack, 100%. Yes. Exactly. Amygdala hijack, like just, just reacting. Um, and so that's what it looks like on a personal level. So I'll start by saying, like, even for me, I remember yeah. when the pandemic started, I said to myself, like, I was, you know, in a relatively new job. I had just joined Moody's probably three or four months before. And all these thoughts go into your head as you think about what's going to happen. Like, what will the future look like? Is this going to, like, start to shut down businesses? And we watch these insane dystopian movies, and then we get these crazy fantasies in our head of, like, the worst case scenario. So in my mind, you know, I was like, I am going to make myself the most invaluable employee that exists out there. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to work every single hour. I'm going to be on Zoom all the time. I'm going to be on. I'm going to be creative. I'm going to just like push myself, push myself, push myself. And at a certain point in time, I really had to stop and realize like this is unhealthy. It's mm -hmm. unhealthy for me. It's unhealthy for my team. It's unhealthy for the organization. And by then, I think a lot of people were in that situation so kind of like your workload went from days when you were commuting into the office and you had some downtime and you can go to lunch with a colleague or you can go grab coffee to like just being on all the time. Now, even before the pandemic, the World Health Organization classified burnout actually as a true medical diagnosis, and they called it a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress. And it's kind of like, I mean, workplace stress is absolutely normal, but when stress then begins to um, in impact your emotional, your physical, mm -hmm. and your mental well-being, it actually turns from stress into burnout. And things yes. that people might experience are often things that on their own, you might say, okay, I can deal with this. But confluence of a number of these together is really what 
medically classifies as, as burnout. So it's things like anxiety. So being more overwhelmed by smaller tasks than normal. Um, a level of fatigue that is, you know, where you're tired, but you can't find restful sleep. And that's a, a like a vicious cycle that kind of, you know, constantly, you know, as you're laying in bed and you're thinking thoughts and it wakes you up in the middle of the night and then you wake up and you go, go, go. You can't really find a place to truly shut down and get rest. I think another thing that would um, that is described in terms of burnout and, and is so, so the definition will say like the unable to think creatively. I, I like to call it like you feel uninspired. So yeah. You have this inability to concentrate and focus but you have also a really hard time connecting to your personal why. You kind of almost lose your purpose. You lose your meaning. And that in and of itself gives you anxiety, makes you tired. It makes you lethargic. You know, Adam Grant wrote um, a fabulous article about, about languishing. And he talked about this feeling of meh, right? This lack of caring and this, this ability or the, the way that we feel, which is like we're looking out through a foggy windshield. And you can see what's out there. But it's not really clear. And the truth of the matter is you may not really be motivated to do anything about it. And then you add on top of it a whole slew of physical symptoms that people will, will experience. So chronic headaches, gastrointestinal issues, you know, like restless leg syndrome, all of these kind of back pain, all of these physical manifestations of stress that the more it, it wears down, it wears you, it begins to have physical manifestation. And I think kind of, to me, the hardest part is this general lack of optimism where people who are burned out will be more cynical than normal. And that is like incredibly fertile ground for your inner critic, which we all have, right? We all have that inside voice that questions everything we do. And this makes you start to think of like, this isn't good enough. This isn't right enough. Yeah. And so like all of these things together, they feed off of each other. And it's not one thing, but it's a bunch of things that happen together and before you know it, you feel like you don't actually have control of how you feel and how you function. And and um, and that's a terrible feeling to have. It really is. And, you know, one of the things that I found to be the most concerning about burnout is the lack of awareness that it's actually taking place. Because a lot of times my observation has been that the person who is burned out is so burned out that they didn't even stop to realize that they're burned out. And we have a comment from Jennifer. Jennifer is saying, will this be available to view at a later time for my other employees? Yes, Jennifer, because we got you. It will be um, on my page on uh, LinkedIn, and I'm sure it will be on Shavit's page as well. So you can make it available for your employees because this is very, very important. And we can also, um, Shavit, maybe highlight some resources later for um, help with burnout. Absolutely. And Jennifer, um, um, catch up with us later because we will also talk about um, burnout from a leadership standpoint. But going back to what we said, Shavit, you know, um, you know, there's a huge component of um, what I would say pausing means for people because, you know, we're all so busy and we have so many things to do and you go from day to day, from day to day, and especially with burned out people, um, and I think we're all burned out to an extent at this point, um, there is no time or length of breath mentally to pause and say, what is happening with me? Why do I feel this way? Why am I having such a hard time concentrating? Why am I sick all the time? Why am I so impatient with people? Why am I impatient with my kids? Why am I impatient with other people? Why does every little task seem huge for me right now um, and just hard to do? And so I think there's something to be said about awareness in the context of burnout, not because burnout happens because of lack of awareness, but because the immediate thing and the first thing to do, if you're seeing that, all those things that Shavit described, you know, repeating um, physical symptoms, lack of ability to focus, um, lack of patience for other people, impulsive behavior, amygdala hijack, et cetera. The first thing to do is to pause and say, what is happening? What is happening to me? Why do all these things happen? Would you agree? I mean, in theory, I would absolutely agree. But I think that sometimes when you're in the midst of that, it's mm -hmm. really hard. It's really hard to pause. Because, yeah. because you're the feeling of being overwhelmed is so powerful that it's very, very difficult to tell yourself to pause. There are very few people that can do it. I, I have an amazing employee who 
kind of was able to say to me, like, this is over. I'm overwhelmed. I need to yeah. reset. Yeah. But I don't know that everybody is really able to verbalize it. And look, I mean, I'll say this. Burnout isn't just an occupational. Like, it's not just about it happens to, to for example, to new mothers. You yep. feel this like sense of expectation about them in terms of how they need to be and to be on all the time and to do this and to do that and a million pieces of advice. And it's overwhelming. And they very quickly, especially with a few kids at home or whatever the expectations mm -hmm. of the support system. And it becomes it comes to a place where then it leads to other things like depression or substance abuse or and when you're already down that path, I find that for many people, it's very hard to verbalize it. And it, that's why part of building resilience, which we'll talk about in a little in a little while, is so important because part of that is about having a supportive community that can help you with your own awareness and can show you maybe things that maybe you don't see. So not everybody is really able to verbalize what they're feeling or what they're experiencing to the extent that they, and people don't want to admit, I mean, there's a stigma around burnout and that stigma is that people who get, who are burned out for lack of a better word, and it gets thrown around way too often. And, and like I said, this is like a medically diagnosable condition. Mm -hmm. so throw that around um, and you and and there's a stigma that people who are burned out are weak and they weren't able to make the right choices and they weren't able to say no and they didn't have boundaries. And, you know, I think that then becomes even more overwhelming because the voices in your head then about the fact that you have failed and that you should be better than this. And all of those things, the confluence of those things and the voices in our head can be very strong in terms of mm -hmm. negative self-talk. And it makes it even harder to admit that there is an issue and that becomes a snowball effect. One hundred percent. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was the last sentence? You I mean? just said it's just not, I just don't think it's that it's, I just don't think it's as easy as saying. No, no, it's definitely not easy. And I want to read some of the uh, comments. Um, we have uh, Tanisha says, yes, I have no idea it's happening until it's too late. And that happens to a lot of people. Um, <laughs> Shelly said, uh, you just hit the nail on the head. You don't have time to reflect. And then Tanisha says, so I'm implementing regularly scheduled maintenance if I don't think I need it. So I can share what I do. Um, because, um, I also went through a journey of, you know, getting completely burned out over the pandemic and then, you know, getting to a point that it was hard, you know, hard to focus, hard to do the things that I needed to do. And so I cannot meditate for the life of me. I will never be able to, I'm way too ADHD to just sit and I would get too antsy. But what I do is I take walks and that's sort of my time to check in with myself. And I, um, ask myself a lot of times, how am I doing? This is a simple question. And there would be days, <coughs> excuse me, where I would say, mm, not so good. I didn't eat so healthy or not so good. I'm completely slacking on my, you know, I'm not going to the gym like at all. Like, what am I thinking this week? I think that the time to check with yourself, how am I doing? There has to be a point in the day. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but we can do hard things, right? That habit of finding a spot for yourself in the day, whether you're walking or you're swimming or you're doing it when you drink coffee in the morning, where you ask yourself, how am I doing? And hopefully you can answer that question to yourself for just a minute, can save some of that, um, some of those behaviors that we um, engage on in on a daily basis that contribute to, to the burnout. I've had people that over a talk, you know, also what we're doing right now, what we're doing in this LinkedIn Live as a community, we're pausing and we're saying, let's talk about burnout. And this is an opportunity for anybody in this talk right now to pause and say, wait a minute, how am I doing? Mm -hmm. Am I doing okay? Am I burned out? How do I feel? And uh, Shelly says, or you feel like it's not only have you failed, but if you ask for help, you will get repercussions for not being able to perform to your best. So there's that component Shavit, of shame, you know, what is wrong with me? Why am I burned out when everybody else is doing so well, which is not the case. Correct. And it's, you know, it's fascinating the what the research shows on this. And, and that is that actually the people who are most likely to get burned out in your organization are your top performers. Yes. And and so it's not the people who um, and, and, you know, we have all different kinds of performance levels in every organization, but the ones who are most vulnerable to burnout are the ones who we give all the accolades to, like your star, you can do this, like keep pushing mm -hmm. through, like, you know, if anyone can do it, you can do it. Like all these things that actually, it's, we're like messing with people's minds when we say that. On the one hand, we think we're really trying to encourage people and we're really trying to, 
build them up and give them confidence and, and show them their value and, and that we believe in them. But on the other hand, we're not aware of what's happening inside their head and like how they're, what compromises they personally are making in order to live up to these very grandiose expectations that we have. And so the research is really, really clear. And UCLA has done a ton of research on this, that the people who are most vulnerable to burnout are actually the highest performing people in the organization. And that's when we lose them. And I actually had this happen yesterday. And so, you know, I think that it's one of those things that it, it should cause us as leaders or as purveyors of talent to pause and think about how do we do this better? How do mm -hmm. we think about how, you know, what is the right experience for every single person to meet them where they are and to create an environment where everybody can thrive with what they need and what they, and what they can bring to the table without, you know, kind of killing our best people. A hundred percent. And and just to talk about the experience of what it looks like and what it feels like when you are, when, when you're, we're not talking about you being burned out, you may be burned out, but you're dealing with someone else who is. And so what that looks like. And I, I, I like um, sometimes to um, use an image of a bleeding person in front of you. And I always say, you know, if we, if any of us were in their workplace or stepped out of their homes and saw a, a, a person standing there and they're bleeding head to toe, right? Completely covered in blood. Would you approach that person and say, oh, um, sir, excuse me, sir, sir, um, you're bleeding on my carpet. Do you mind just like stepping away? And you're really, this is not a very good time, sir. Could you? you would not, right? You would approach that person with a comforting tone of voice and say, sir, everything will be okay. Got you help. Don't worry. I'm going to stay next to you until someone comes. Help is on the way. Don't worry, right? The tone would be completely different. But when someone is burned out and they're agitated, irritated, passive aggressive, not nice, impatient, we do yell at them a lot of times and we respond in a very similar way than, you know, to that person who's bleeding on the carpet. We would say, <laughs> we would say, well, hopefully, um, you know, we would not speak to people this way, but how often we get impatient with people that are agitated, irritated, passive aggressive, not nice, not realizing that we are looking at a bleeding person. It's just that we're not seeing it. Yeah. Because it's internal bleeding. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think, you know, I think that's very astute, Michelle. And, and I think that it's a, it's a great image to, I mean, it's gory, but, a, but a, a, I think a very useful image to put in your, in your mind. And, yeah. and I think that what we are reacting to, and it's by the way, our ego that's reacting and that's of a course. whole other conversation, right? But what we're reacting to is what we see on the outside. And if we are true professionals in what we do, and I don't mean psychological professionals, psychology professionals or medical professionals. I don't mean that. I mean, true leadership professionals and the ability to really know that we have an obligation to shepherd our talent, to nurture, mm -hmm. to create an environment that fosters healthy ways of working. If we really believe that that's who we are and that's part of what our job is as a leader, no matter what your job is in an organization, then we have to try to figure out and respond to what's going on on the inside. Yeah. And, to, and to not be reactive, but mm -hmm. actually to think about some proactive questions we can ask, like that, like this was very out of character. Tell me what's going on. Or you weren't yourself in that meeting. Is everything okay? And finding the right opportunities to be appropriately reflective without, you know, overstepping boundaries, but to be appropriately reflective to individuals, to be able to create a dialogue that maybe didn't exist before. And somebody made a, a very... Um, astute um, observation before, which is sometimes when we ask for help, and and I, I want to go back to the symptoms that I talked about before, and I and I will say that if you are on this call and you are experiencing any of those symptoms, I do encourage you to seek out help, whether it's from family, from work, from medical, whatever. But I think the point that was made is that oftentimes you know, and this is still, um, we still have this culture where we try to treat things with a pill, right? You take a pill, you get skinny. You take a pill, you can make your pain and suffering go away. You take a pill, you can be less stressed out. That's not always the case, right? Because it's really about making, this is where cognitive behavioral therapy is actually way more useful because it's really about making really true changes in the way in which you work. And I often say, I, I read this wonderful quote, which really, really resonates with me, which is that time management is actually choice management. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that kind of state, you're unable to make the healthy choices that you need to make because you're, you're you're not doing that. So you need to be able to take a step back. But what we need to do is we need to learn how to make better choices. 
It's what we teach our children. It's what we try to teach our employees. And you can only do that by having real conversations and no, you know, I mean, of course, if you are depressed or if it turns to substance abuse and other things, it's, it's a, it's a very different path of, of treatment. But if we're, if we're just no, you know, noticing these things and we're, and we're talking to people that work with us on a, on a regular basis, then there is a very, you know, I think we're a little bit lazy in going in going beneath what we see on the surface and we're just reacting because we ourselves are so busy and it's just easier to do that and to say, Oh, that person is this and qualify them as that. And just, you know, let them let, let, let's let it wear off and then they'll, they'll come back. They just were having a bad day. Uh, but I think we're, you know, we have to, we have to treat people with grace and kindness. And if we don't do that, this will continue to become a much bigger issue. And we've already seen that with what we're seeing in the workplace that people are, reevaluating their priorities and they're saying to themselves is this who i want to be is this how i want to work is this how i want to live my life you know my um my husband always there's a saying right that life is too that you know you only live once and my husband always says no no that's not true actually you live life every day you only die once and i think that people mm -hmm. are very much embracing this concept that like i need to really figure out how i live my best life and so in an organization we have the opportunity and I think the obligation to help create an environment where people can live their best lives and people are voting with their feet. And that's something that I think we're seeing around the world. I can't connect to what you're saying any more than I do. I'm I'm I, I think it's so important. And we've had a comment. We've had some wonderful. We're having wonderful comments here, but I want to highlight one. Um, Jennifer says, as a talent manager, I've found a lot of candidates I have interviewed recently that have mentioned that they've not felt appreciated and they feel tired at their current role. They're experiencing burnout. This seems to be a common issue. So showing compassion to those feeling this way. And, and I want to talk about, um, about our ability to help ourselves and then our ability to help others, because I think we're, we're talking about both. So I think the first thing that we're saying is that if you're experiencing burnout, first of all, you're not alone. You're not special in that way. And I just want to read some statistics to you. Um, employee burnout is global concern. So in a survey of over 1,000 respondents by Deloitte, 77%, 77% um, say they have experienced burnout at their current job. 91%, 91% say that unmanageable stress or frustration impacts the quality of their work. And 83% say that burnout can negatively impact also their personal relationships. So I think the first thing to keep in mind is that if you're experiencing all those symptoms that we talked about, the ability, lack of ability to focus, um, you're, you're performing on a, on a lower level, you feel meh, you know, and you are not at your best. You're so not alone. You're in very good company. Like Shavit said, you may be a high, very high performing person. The first thing that you should do, I'm um, still with the pause. Just ask yourself how you're doing and figure out one thing that you can do. Just one thing for self-care sometimes go, goes a very long way. Yes, we need to change the way we do things and make better choices. But sometimes the person who is burned out is so burned out that all they can do is say, I'm just going to eat healthier tomorrow. And sometimes that alone can give someone the length of breath to have... You know, I think I can, I can be a little kinder to people now that I ate a little healthier or, you know, and you're right, Shavid, we're so quick to judge other people just because we're so burned out ourselves. Um, and it is about making different choices. And, and, um, um, Jennifer, when you mentioned the appreciation piece of it, that also happens because the leaders themselves are so often burned out that they don't take the time. And I deal with this all the time when I, when I work with companies, don't take the time to show appreciation to the people that they manage, not always have the length of breath or the awareness. What is your experience with that, Shavit? So, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I, um, the measure that I use for myself is that if I've got two or three weeks in a row, <clears throat> where I say to myself at the beginning of the week or even on Sunday night, if I feel a feeling of dread on Sunday night about starting the work week, mm -hmm. I have to, I, I pause and I try to think about what am I dreading and how do I work through it? But if you go two or three weeks 
with that feeling of dread and you think, oh my gosh, if I could just get through Friday, everything will be better. And then the next week, if I could just get through this meeting, if I could just get through, because there's always something else, some other project, some other crisis, some other issue that you have to deal with that comes time after time. And so, and we've, and you know, we think we've gotten good at it because we're reacting, 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 but we're not working at our best. And so if you're having, I would say three or four weeks in a row where you're feeling that, and there's no question that there's always in every organization, in every profession, there are times that are more stressful and times that they're less stressful. We all, like, we, I categorize it as, you know, it's tax season in HR or it's tax season and whatever, you know, when you're just, you have to just push through that month or that, or that period of time. But if it's happening all the time, then you've really got to stop and think about what are all the things that are on my plate personally and professionally? How do I find the things that I can minimize and say no to? Are there ways where I can work smarter and not harder? Am I using all the resources at my disposal? And that may not always be an easy answer, right? Um, how do I set better boundaries? And it's not easy to say no, and it's a skill set that everybody has to learn. How do I take time to decompress? How do I find some me time? It's funny, I was celebrating a, um, a, a birthday, a, a milestone birthday a, a long time ago. And my husband said, what do you, what do you want to do for your birthday? And I was like, I, I kind of would just want to have a me party. Like, I just want to be by myself for the day without anybody call. I left my phones at home. Like, I don't want, I don't want to speak to anyone. I just want to just do and be and, and, and see where the day takes me. And, and sometimes, and, and again, there's you have to, there's some privilege in being able to do that. Not everybody's able to do that, and I respect and I recognize that. But finding the strategies for you that help you decompress, both by the way on the job. So you know, a lot of times, especially during the pandemic when we were all working from home, and I know there's a lot of you that are still working from home all the time. It's really easy to just be like locked to your computer. So taking a walk, like what I have done, especially in the winter, is I make myself go up and down the stairs 20 times just to get my blood flowing. Or I go outside and I stand barefoot. These are small little things and they are not a panacea. They do not make the other issues go away, but it just helps you take a breath to reset so that then you can get to a place where you look at your list and you can make wiser choices about it. So it's not about going to yoga or you know meditating and everything will get better. No, no, no. It's about using that time to allow yourself. That's the, maybe everyone has a different kind of oxygen mask that they need. And so it's finding what your oxygen mask is so that then you can go back and reset and reprioritize the things that you need to do and find the places where you can be a little bit more in control or at least feel like you can take a better view and, and create a little bit more control over the things that you that you have to do. And I will also say like, look, and I'm guilty about this as well. We have to practice self-care and we have to give ourselves grace. You need to demonstrate self-compassion, especially when you're having a rough day and you need to practice self-gratitude and, and just gratitude in general, because that, that moment of kind of saying like, here are the things I'm grateful for, here are the things I'm going well, actually in your mind helps to create new pathways that changes mm -hmm. the way you look at things and it reframes situations. Again, it's not easy to do, not everybody has the ability to do that, but Everyone has, and, and thank you um, for pointing out, everybody has their own oxygen mask. And you have to figure out what that oxygen mask is for you. You, by the way, can't dictate what other people's oxygen masks are for them, right? So it's nice to give suggestions, but oftentimes that can sound come across as condescending, like, oh, I just did that and, and now I feel better. It doesn't work that way for everyone. And so, but it does start with you. It starts with looking internally and saying like, who do I want to be? How do I want to live? You know, my my very best life. I'll just tell a story very quickly, Michelle, which I think yeah. is a very it's a very personal story. But I, I hope you don't mind me sharing. No, I would love it. Really gave me perspective. So, um, a long time ago, like twelve years ago, I was working at, um, at Bank of America, and I had a fabulous colleague who um, I had gone out on maternity leave. She took over my role. She went out on maternity leave. I took over her role and it went back and forth like this for four babies, not my four babies, but two of hers and two of mine. And we had a fabulous relationship just talking about raising young kids and working full time and how do you do this and creating balance. And I remember talking to her um, on as, as she was heading to the train to go home after a very long day. 
and we said goodbye and it was you know tomorrow will be a better day like like, like literally that was the what we left it with and the next morning i get a call from her husband that she had walked onto the train and her heart had stopped and it took the paramedics 15 minutes to get to her and so she was in you know a cardiac icu so we went there spent a lot of time with the family and you know, a lot of medical conversations. Needless to say, after five weeks, she passed away. She never was able to, to wake up. And the point of the story isn't that. The point of the story is that when I was at her, um, when I was at her funeral, and in Judaism, we have a custom and a tradition that we, you know, the, the family puts the soil on the grave. And I was watching her children and I was thinking to myself, this, this is not okay. The, the pace yeah. that I'm running and the way that I'm running my life is not okay. And this yeah. is, a, this, if anything, if anything is true here is that I have to change who I am, how I interact with my family, how I choose to live my life. The choices that I make every single day can impact that. And now today, and we kind of, there were a, a group of us that made these bracelets that basically said, you know, what would Deb do? And, and in those moments where you're, where I feel overwhelmed, and I actually even have a picture of her in my office, like it's, you know, it just as a reminder that our time here is so short and that every day could be our last day. And I, and I don't mean to be grim about it, but it is actually true. We have no control over some things. And so how do you choose every day to make the choices that you can then lay back at, in bed at night and say, I made good choices today, or I didn't, and tomorrow is going to be better, and here's what I'm going to do about it. And so I share that story only because we all have those moments and stories in our lives that were deeply moving and that gave us perspective. And I encourage you not to lose sight of those those moments the further you get away from them, but actually to use them as an anchor to remind yourself that things get really hard, but there is a way out. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And I think that um, this is an opportunity to pause, right? So what happened to you with your friend was your pause. We're pausing together as a community today. Mm -hmm. um, each, person, each person should find the time in their day to pause and to ask, and I, I wrote down based on what we're talking and based on what you said, two very simple questions. One is, how can I feel better? What you called the oxygen mask, which I loved. How can I feel better? And then the second one is what matters to me the most? You know, and so if there's something that is off in your priorities in the way um, you manage your day or manage your time or manage your choices, whatever, what matters to me the most? Because sometimes, yes, the days and 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 the low just drag us in different directions. And I do want to um, highlight what you said, Shavit, about boundaries. And it's something that we all need to get better at because boundaries guard your energy. And energy is what it's all about. That's if right. burnout is, uh, uh, you know, us having less energy to do the things we need to do, how do we guard it? We guard it by having better boundaries. And I found myself over the pandemic getting much, much, much better. I didn't realize what a problem I had with boundaries. Getting much, 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 much better with boundaries. And a lot of times setting boundaries is the hardest it to is. the people that are the closest to us. It's very easy to set boundaries with people that we, you know, care less about. But it's very hard to set boundaries with the people that we care about the most. And that's what guards our energy. And what I found out is that really when you set boundaries better, nothing happens. Okay, we're so scared sometimes. You're, you know, there's this fear of what would happen if we set the boundary. Absolutely nothing. The only thing that will happen, nobody's going to stop loving you and nobody's going to get hurt. And nothing will happen. The only thing that will happen is that you're going to have a lot more energy to work with because you're guarding your energy. So two questions to always ask yourself is when you're pausing, right, whether you walk, you swim, you meditate, you drink a cup of tea, it doesn't matter how you pause. Like you said, Shavit, you do you is how do I feel better and what matters to me the most? And I want to highlight some um, of the um, a comment that we've had, um, that gratitude about how important gratitude is. Um, and Shavit, you talked about gratitude, about the things that you have in your life that maybe you're not realizing. Let's also talk about um, our role as leaders when it comes to gratitude and appreciation of of others um and it's not necessarily in the in the workplace you know we're all leaders within our our you know in the workplace in our communities in our families etc what's your take on on um gratitude in that context so um i'll start by saying that um 
practicing gratitude is a skill that we all really need to build. Yeah. And um, every Friday night when we sit around the dinner table in my house, and I learned this actually from a very dear friend of mine, and she does this, and we've tried to adapt it um, in my family, which is to go around the table and say one thing that you that really made you feel good during the week. So really acknowledging something positive and then mm -hmm. one thing you're grateful for. Yeah. And um, even if it's just once a week to go around the table to do that and to do that, then to move that practice to work and to start a meeting where you're meeting with your team with some kind of recognition or some kind of moment of gratitude that isn't a platitude, but actually is a moment where you have to really think in a thoughtful way about what you're grateful for, either for something that happened or something that someone on the team did. And it goes beyond recognition. Gratitude goes beyond recognition. Recognition yeah. is acknowledging that someone did something and saying, good job, well done. No, gratitude is I, I am grateful for having you on this team or in my life because together we've been able to do this or because you came up with this idea that actually caused everyone else to pause and think about it in a different way. And so, you know, there's a lot of research about positive psychology and gratitude and there's just so much that's out there. But again, all of this is in um, challenging the way our brains are wired. And gratitude has actually been shown to really create new neural pathways in your mind to think about the world in a very different way and challenge your, um, you know, that cynicism that comes in. Gratitude actually really, really helps with breaking some of that, breaking some of that down. Gratitude helps with not being as reactive and finding ways to be proactive because it forces you to think about things and re. Um, reframe things in, in a very different way. So there are lots of ways that you can infuse gratitude into your life, into your team. Some people I think I've, I've seen written on here that they have a gratitude journal. Um, I, um, a, a very dear colleague of mine, when I when I left one of my jobs, she said, the way that you leave your job actually is with gratitude. And you, and you cite three things that you're grateful for that you're taking away as you step away from something that you've just finished. And all of that reframing actually really changes how you look and think about the world and it changes who you are as a person the more you do it. So I don't I don't mean it in any kind of hokey way, but it is something that um, and I encourage all of you who are listening um, to, to try it, whether you do it with your family or you do it with your team or you just do it with yourself that, you know, put it into a habit for 21 days and see what happens in the way in which you look at the world. Um, so true. And we have a comment from Deanna. She says, I often thank our team with memos, emails, publicly at meetings. We buy the team breakfast or lunches. Uh, we end meetings with staff shout outs. And then we hear things like, I don't feel appreciated. What more can we do? What more can I say? I struggle with figuring out how people will feel appreciated. It's such a good question. And I'm so glad you asked that because I hear that all the time. And Shavita, I want to hear what you think about that. Well, first of all, I, I will just say, and and we really have to think about how we, and, and as different, as generations change in the workplace, people um, have a need for recognition and appreciation in a very different way. Mm -hmm. So I think it has to start by actually asking people what they need to feel appreciated and what are the things that they like. Because in the past, and, I, and I've been in lots of organizations that have done this, you know, pizza parties and ice cream parties and ice cream socials are no, nice, but they're not really it doesn't really actually get to the heart of the heart of the issue. And so start by asking people, what does good appreciation look like? And, and engage them in helping to build some kind of recognition program that actually is reflective of what their personal needs and desires are. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is um, that the more routinized it is, the more it can seem like, oh, it's just a, it's just a thing, like you're just doing it because you start every meeting with recognition. And so how do you make it feel special? And how do you um, have other people be engaged in that in that recognition to have it actually be part of um, to be part of the culture? So people don't. I mean, I guess what I would say is um, generations that are different than mine look to be recognized in a very different way than my generation did. And money is not the primary motivator, and never has been. By the way, it's always been an extrinsic driver but it has never really been the way in which people want to be recognized. And, and, and you know, it actually gets to how do we bring people back into the office? Um, getting people back into the office with these kinds of things isn't what, right. What people are really looking for are meaningful opportunities to collaborate and make a difference. That's what they're looking for. And the recognition that you give them is giving them the opportunity 
to do the thing that most connects with their purpose and their meaning. And that means you need to know what their individual purpose and meaning is and how do you tie that into the work that they do. And that's not easy to do. And it takes a lot of mindfulness and a lot of conversations. But what people are looking for is the opportunity to be a difference maker. And they don't want pizza or ice cream. They want you to pull them into something where they can have a point of view and where they feel valued for their point of view, not for just the thing that they've done. I hope that helps. I think it's it's so important. And, and um, I would add to that, Shavit, also to make it very personal, because I think part of people's problem um, these days is um, they don't feel appreciated and they don't feel seen. So what I'm hearing over and over again is, oh, you know, I make all this effort, like people are describing to me, I make all this effort. I took that extra load of work and I did really great on that project. But, you know, my leader doesn't even, you know, say anything. Oh, but when I mess up, oh, then I'm going to hear about that. So it kind of made me think about, you know, how much energy should we, we spend on correcting other people all the time, like we correct the kids, right? When they do something wrong and we correct the spouses when they do something wrong oh, yeah. and we correct everybody's I'm mistakes. I'm amazing at telling everyone what everyone, I mean, we all are, but when someone does something right, you know, the tendency is to sort of, you know, dismiss it and say, well, of course they did it. That's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. So I think taking the time to just tell someone one-on-one, -on -one. it's not even a pizza or a, or a, you know, it's, it's not the same like telling the group, you know, my leaders sort of say for the sake of discussion, if I work under someone and they come to me and they say, oh, Michelle, I saw the work you did on that document, what you did there in section two. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Okay. Boom. You just recognized me and you made me feel good about myself. But you know, Shavit, a lot of times when I, when I talk to leadership teams and I ask them, I say, give me an example of a genuine compliment you gave someone in the past week. I literally get a room full of people scratching their heads, can't come up with an example. So it's, 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 you know, somebody said something to me that I really liked. They said, um, they check themselves against their five fingers at the end of the day. And they check, you know, if they can come up with five examples of people that they said something kind to, or we can say compliment for that matter, because it's so easy, you know, the days go by, we correct everybody for everything they do wrong. When they do something, you know, not, you know, good, we kind of dismiss it. And then we're like, why are people not motivated? You know, why are they not engaged? Like, what is their problem? Their problem is that they're constantly corrected and they're not, you know, recognized or we don't pay attention when they do something good. What do you think about that? I mean, I think we all have an opportunity to be more mindful in so yeah. many ways that we do. And one simple question that I ask myself is, did I make the situation better by being a part of it? Yeah. And did I make a, did I um, add something positive by being part of this conversation, right? Did it get worse or did it get better because I yeah. was involved or engaged? And if you can use that as a measuring stick for yourself, like we, um, I kind of have this thing with my kids where they'll, they'll come and they'll tell me about like a difficult situation that they're in and how hard it is. And, uh, you know, and I've got four teenage girls. So believe me, it's like on a daily basis. But, uh, you know, what I always say to them is you have an opportunity to be the light. And it's not always easy to be the light, but you have a choice on how you want to react to and deal with the situation. And so did you take advantage of your opportunity to be the light? Or did you diminish and turn off the light yeah. by leaving that situation and leaving the room? And it's and it's that's the measuring stick that I use for myself, and it's the measuring stick that I try to teach my my own children. But I just you know we have an opportunity, and we need so much light in this world. Yes, like we need so much light. And so when you think about burnout and you think about energy, that's why light is such a um, a powerful concept to me because. If I think that if we could all just turn up our, you know, that dimmer a little bit more and just be a little bit more of the light to other people and to ourselves, by the way, it has to start with yourself. But I think that if we could do that, and I don't mean this in any kind of hokey way, but we, you know, we just pass by people who are bleeding to your, you know, earlier yeah. analogy all the time. Yeah. Do we choose, do we choose to be the light in that situation? Or do we choose to just say, uh, I got too many other things on my mind. I got to worry about my own light bulb. So right. it's a choice. It's a conscious choice that we make about how we choose to. And, and it starts with being mindful. Now, it's hard to be mindful when you're feeling really burned out. And yeah. so I think there are probably I do, I do want to get to a few 
things that I, I wanted to just share in terms of things that are important in terms of building resilience, because, um, and, and again, somebody mentioned before, like this could be a three hour session. I mean, yes, this could, totally. be, could be a weekend. I mean, there's so many yes. things to talk about. Yes. Um, but, you know, the ability to, just for lack of a better word, to bounce back and demonstrate yeah. mental toughness, it's very hard to do that when you're feeling burned out. But learning those skills now and helping others to get those skills is really, really important in terms of trying to find a way out of this kind of maze that we've created for ourselves by virtue of feeling like we have to kill ourselves in order to get work done. It's, a, it's just a fallacy. Um, so I guess what I would say, um, and I'm just want to be conscious of time, is that there's a couple of things that I would recommend to people as they think about, um, you know what, I'm, um, I'm going to see, Michelle, if I can share my screen. That would be amazing. And I'm just going to highlight um, what Carmen said before. Carmen talked about how important it is to be genuine when you are the light for someone, when you decide to be the light for someone, when you decide to empower someone, give someone a compliment, say it when you mean it. Don't just, you know, don't be fake because you can't fake these things. It's that it's those genuine compliments. It's the, the, when you notice something good that you genuinely think is good and you're highlighting it and you're being someone's light that goes a long, long way. So tell me uh, if you can see my screen. We can see your screen. You can see the full screen, yes? Yes. Okay, fantastic. So um, so these are just some things that I've like from various readings and various ideas that I have put together for some work that I've been doing with my with the, the organization to just think about ways to enhance your personal resilience. And I want to start with the first one, which is finding your flow. And look, a lot of companies will you know, in their well-being programs will turn to yoga and meditation as kind of ways. It's not just, this isn't about yoga. This is about finding a way to find a time and a, to find, to create a sense in yourself where time melts away and you can just be, and you're not interrupted and you can just find a way to just allow yourself to connect with who you, with who you are. And without that time, it's very hard to be able to really um, be fully in control. So that's the first thing. The second is every single one of us, every single one of us needs some uninterrupted time. And our phone and our computer and access to email and texts and all of those things is probably the number one of the number one um, deterrents from being able to build your own personal resilience. And so whether it's in a bath or, you know, for me, when I step onto the yoga mat, like it's an hour where I have total uninterrupted time and I can just focus on breathing. And it is amazing what a reset that does. For other people, it's different things, but find some uninterrupted time. And I would also say focus on small goals, like something that matters to you, but put it in incremental pieces because when you're feeling burned out or where you're trying to build your resilience, when something is an overwhelming task, like I've got to lose 60 pounds, like that is just daunting. Um, but if you say by the end of next week, I want to be down three pounds and here are the things I'm going to do to help me do that. And then you just take it in incremental steps. It's much more likely to happen. We talked a lot about reframing to positive, to positive thinking. Um, we talked a lot about maintaining perspective, right? Not reacting and looking at the bigger picture. We didn't talk enough about how important it is to really nurture your relationships. And I don't mean you don't need 75 friends and 75 work colleagues. You need two or three people in your life that are going to be honest and truthful and reflective with you, but will also give you a meaningful connection. And we, when we are burned out, we push those people away faster than we would want to. And those are the people we really need to keep in our lives. And then two more quick things. The first is get outdoors. I cannot emphasize enough how moving your body and being outdoors and even standing for five minutes on fertile soil and getting the energy from the ground and not in a kind of like, you know, um, uh, crystals and um, <laughs> a seance -y kind of way, but like actually there is true evidence that the energy that comes from the earth that infuses into our body and that change of atoms actually infuses us with energy and the sunlight, kind of like Superman, we all actually really do get our energy from the sun. And so finding that opportunity to just be outside um, and breathe in fresh air will change perspective. 
And then lastly, I'll just say, you know, add a personal mantra or affirmation. For me, the mantra that I use is, um, hang on a second, let me just try to get out of here. For me, the mantra that I use is, um, I never did mind about the little things. And I don't mean that in a passive aggressive way. I mean that in a, in a way of saying like, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Like put your energy toward the things that really matter. And then there, sometimes it's okay to just say, yes, go do it. Or yes, that's fine. Or I'll deal with it later. You know, just really focus on the things that really, really matter. Somebody said music too. I totally agree. Music changes the energy. I'll just give one example. Like whenever we go on a car trip, my kids can get along very well in most situations. But as soon as they all are in the car together, it is literally World War III. And so um, we find that creating a playlist ahead of time and music actually really changes the energy in the situation. So for family and also for, um, I bought this little thing called um, 30 Second Dance Party that I have on my desk in my office that literally like somebody will just come in and they just press it. And it's 30 seconds of music where everybody just gets up and dance. And it's hilarious um, and totally cheesy music, but it just, it changes the energy and creates much better conversation. Cheesy music, guys. First of all, before anything else, um, anything that changes, I think, the energy. And we we're back to the discussion about energy. And Derek um, asked the same question twice. So this is a very important question for Derek. He asked about remote employees, and and I want to make sure to um, highlight that. So um, I think what we're saying, Derek, is um, and Shavit. Um, Tell me if I if, if we're aligned here um, that, first of all, as a leader, it starts with you because you can't pour from an empty cup. I mean, we talk about resilience of the individual. We talk about being someone else's light, helping them with their resilience and with feeling better um, when they're burned out as leaders, someone in your team, someone in your environment. Um, and then we talk about um, the organization as a whole, we talk about a group of people who are more resilient. And so um, I think it starts with the leader and it starts with you. So step number one is you're not gonna be able to help anybody as long as you yourself is burned out. So step number one is check in with yourself. How are you feeling? What can you do as an oxygen mask for yourself, right? What can you do to feel better today? What is one thing you can do today to feel better? And once you start feeling better, you look at the longer term changes that you need to make, setting boundaries, prioritizing differently, whatever it is, so that you can make sure that you don't need an oxygen mask every five minutes, that you um, are making um, changes. And then once you have that length of breath, I think a lot of it has to do with genuine connections with other people. Because at the end of the day, you know, we talk about all these big terms, you know, the burnout, the resilience, all these things. But at the end of the day, it comes down to life management. You know, how, how do I do better as a person? And how can I be a better person in the context of the other person? And like you said, Shavit, so beautifully be their light. And I think, Derek, when you deal with remote employees, you know, it's, it's just a matter of having to do more. It's a, you know, we call that sometimes the rule of much more in remote relationships, because if somebody's at the office, it's hard enough, you know, to um, appreciate and recognize and pay attention and be mindful, et cetera. In remote, it's even harder. So then you have to just pay more attention and make sure that I think designate time to make sure that you remember to do those things because there's no, you're not going to see them in the hallway. So maybe designate time in your calendar once a week for a one-on-one -on -one or once every other week for a one-on-one, -on -one. create those opportunities or set a reminder. I had a leader last week that set a reminder on his calendar to um, recognize uh, people by email. He said he only meets them every you know, so many weeks. Say something nice to someone on email, three people a day, things that he notices that are good, just drop a line and say, hey, I noticed this and it was really great. I really appreciate it. So um, one more thing, really I would add, opportunities. One more thing I would add. And look, I think nobody's really cracked the code on this. I no. really don't believe that. Anybody's no, really cracked. Yeah. I really don't. However, I will say one other thing I would add to all those fabulous tips you just gave is that um, Give the person who, like, let's say you have a, a team that's live and a few people that are remote, give them actually a task to do in a team meeting and a collaboration meeting. Have them run mm -hmm. the agenda. Have them run a piece of the meeting. Make sure that they're presenting. Like, really give them. It's not, I think the challenge is that um, we don't, you know, we focus more on what's happening live and in the room versus what's happening. If everyone's remote and we're all, you know, like the Brady Bunch with all of the different um, pictures on the wall, then it's very different and it's a different way of collaboration. But when you're hybrid 
and you're mixed, it's it's a it's a different world. So I don't think anyone's really cracked the code on it. I'm working really hard on that. And if any I come up with anything, I'll let you know. But I I think the the easiest thing is one make genuine connections and make sure you know what's going on, where they are, and and what's going on. We have uh, we have uh, a big team in Vilnius, and there's a lot of things going on in that part of the world. And so really checking in genuinely with what's happening and what's going on and recognizing geopolitical events and being sensitive to that and not being overly American. Like there are some of those kind of natural things in terms of being a global citizen. And then, um, and then the other pieces really give them something genuine and real to do. Shavit, I could talk to you forever. Um, I love talking to you today. I feel like we, we talked about such important things. Um, and I want to thank everybody that joined us today and everybody that will be um, listening as we post this on our pages. We also have a panel um, coming up. So um, follow up for more information. Thank you so much, um, Shavit Barnahum, for joining us today. Um, thank you for having me. Take care, everyone. And don't forget, it starts with yourself. Take care of yourself first. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye, everyone.